G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You'll no doubt be familiar with the idea that we talk about on Vision quite a lot of having a life that can be transformed after an encounter with God through the Christian Gospel. We might even think of that as a miracle that God does that you can observe in the lives of people who are so much different today after an encounter with God. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, Christian communities are so often marked by their contrast to the prevailing culture because they reflect a different view of the world. But it may be a whole lot more than just a different view of the world. It may be due to a different life source than the world experiences. You might recall the words of Jesus saying, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You can find that verse in Matthew chapter 4. And one of the things that might affirm that it's not just living or thinking different may be in the way that lives are transformed in communities of people from different ages, different cultures, and entirely different backgrounds. Well, our special guest today was born in India, earned his first medical degree in England, specialised in psychiatry in New Zealand. He now lives and practices in Australia, and he's just back from speaking engagements in Nepal and at the Asian Christian Counselling Association conference uh, just recently uh, in, uh, in Bali. Well, Dr. John Warlow, who's an adult, child and family psychiatrist, is the developer of what's known as the Christian Wholeness Framework. His passion is Christian wholeness, taking the whole gospel to the whole person. And we're about to discover how it works everywhere. Dr. John Warlow, a special welcome back to 2020. Neil, great to be with you. And I think that's exactly the issue, is taking the whole gospel to the whole person, wherever they are, whichever culture they're in. You know what I'm excited about, uh, John, is that uh, these different cultures, I mean, when I when I give that introduction, uh, you were born in India and uh, you've studied in the UK and you've practiced in New Zealand, you're living in Australia, just back from uh, Asia and Southeast Asia. Well, uh, you've got this very cross-cultural ability to be able to perceive what's going on. And so I think uh, over this next hour, listeners are going to get an idea how a psychiatrist thinks about things cross-culturally like that. But but you just come back from uh, Asia from Bali. You were uh, you were talking to people in different cultures there. Uh, same message is how does that work uh, for people who are completely different in the way they've been raised in their culture? The amazing thing about uh, this kingdom culture of Jesus and uh, the gospel is that it is for anyone in any culture. And while we're talking a lot about different countries. Even here in Brisbane and Australia, we have different cultures, depending on maybe which part of town you're in or uh, which profession you're in or 
whether you're what we call blue collar or white collar. They're different cultures, and even each family has different cultures. And Churches have different cultures, and Jesus is relevant in any of these situations. You know, I'm really mindful of the fact that in Australia, we talk about multiculturalism. Uh, That means, you know, the different cultures that people were shaped by, all of a sudden, uh, they find themselves on our Australian shores. Uh, Sometimes they integrate together in their own communities, and that might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing, Uh, but People who are making up our churches today, uh, as I understand it, as we look at some of the statistics from, say, National Church Life Survey, show that there are an awful lot of people in our churches who were born in different cultures, raised in different cultures, and they're a part of our churches today. So this same message of the gospel appropriate across all these cultures. And that's the amazing thing. The amazing thing about God is he delights in difference and um, how that just like the sun shines on shines on a variety of flowers or vegetation um, and actually allows those flowers to really be themselves as it were so the s-o-i-n jesus as he is central in our lives and transforming our lives he allows the, allows the actual different cultures just like the different flowers to shine in a in a wonderful way and to bring those together. And I think that's the whole thing of what Paul says in Ephesians 4 about the body of Christ. We're different. And in 1 Corinthians 11, we're different. And as we uh, abide in Christ and express that difference, then that brings such a unity uh, in, in the body of Christ. You know, I might be going off track here, but, you know, as we understand that the gospel transformed Uh, those first disciples who were followers of Jesus. And, you know, this idea of turning the world upside down. Uh, You know, who could have known 2,000 years ago that this message that was delivered there in Israel, uh, you know, it's almost Christmas time, that baby that was born in the manger, uh, Bethlehem, uh, how this message would actually, would have the capacity to be able to change, transform, people and communities around the whole world. I mean, how does that happen? <laughs> it's, it's amazing, isn't it, Neil, that over time and over space, right from uh, back then when Jesus was born, right through to, to across the globe and over that time, that the power of the gospel has been present and can actually be uh, taken in in a, in a kingdom culture way which doesn't squash cultures but enhances them. You know, some critics of our Christianity might say, oh, but you're just trying to brainwash people and uh, somehow rather just change the way that they think so they'll conform to this sort of under-the-thumb idea of, you know, an angry God. Uh, there's a certain sense in which that, uh, you know, brainwashing, which is an accusation against Christians, uh, probably is the freedom from the brainwashing that's happened in these other cultural developments that uh, oftentimes we've been part of. What are your thoughts for, you know, how we look at this transformation? 
I think sadly at times that has happened. I mean, we go back to the Crusades, for example, where they were imposing their culture on other people. And we might look at various parts of mission where they've actually gone to a culture and, and imposed some of the Western culture, thinking that's the kingdom gospel, um, onto other, other cultures. Um, but I don't think that's the, the way it really works. The uh, way the way God works and what Christmas is about, Emmanuel, is God with us. He came first to be with us. He connected with us, and so should we with other cultures, connect with them and then understand what's going on in those cultures before we then invite change and responses rather than coming in on that response level, uh, without that connection and understanding, imposing our culture on someone else. Interesting role that I can see into the future for the Christian believer, uh, given that we are very multi multicultural, uh, that there are some groups that might be smaller minorities and uh, everybody these days is doing their own thing, waving their own flag, using their own megaphone, making their own, uh, you know, uh, their own identity, but it almost then becomes very divisive across the culture. But our Christianity has the capacity to be able to unite. Now, this could be an interesting development as we get on this conversation, but the idea that our Christian gospel actually may be the solution we're looking for as we start to see things disintegrate, uh, this is a powerful thought. It's a very powerful thought, and it's looking at a whole display, as it were, of different flowers together, providing such a picture which only God can actually design. Now, when you talk about Christian wholeness frameworks, now you are the developer of what's called the Christian wholeness framework. Uh, you find yourself at a, say, this Asian uh, uh, Christian counselors conference. Uh, how's that sort of thing received by people who have been uh, working as counselors in their own culture and their own people, their own different, you know, the way they do things a little bit differently than what we might do in Australia? How is it re received by people like that? Neil, it's received really well because uh, what it is is just a picture language of five steps and five shapes. And the five steps are indeed that connecting and understanding which I was talking about before we respond to, to a culture. So it's very invitational. And the the shapes are all very God-centered. There's the triangle, which is, in essence, God, oneself, and others. I mean, that's Mark 12, 30, 31, is love God, others, and yourself. And that's highly transcultural. Why? Because it's kingdom culture. And so we, we find that cultures in the 14 or so different countries we've been in to actually really receive and welcome this fully. Uh, when you talk about pictures and diagrams and, uh, you know, we can take that even another step and talk about the sort of metaphors uh, that we use in our Christian life. Uh, and even when we talk about the symbols of our faith, I mean, we talk about the cross, uh, you know, it's a symbol of our faith. These things, they're not, they're not bounded by languages and cultures because Christianity is delivered. I mean, when Jesus was you know, using uh, those uh, parables, I mean, talking stories, telling stories. I mean, this is such a powerful way of communicating right across all these cultures. It is so powerful. In fact, one of the five shapes is not just the triangle, but is indeed the cross. 
And it, while it talks firstly about absolutely what Jesus did on the cross, his death and resurrection, it also symbolizes as well how that we can be uh, moved from being dead in sin to dead to sin as we're born again and come into a new kingdom. And that is relevant regardless of culture, regardless of age. And uh, it's, it is kingdom culture language. Now, we're on the radio today, and so we haven't got this ability to present a visual of the sorts of things you love to talk about because you can put these things into such a simplified form that we can all understand really deep stuff that you've taken decades to study and understand. But uh, but if we're talking about the cross uh, just for a few moments, uh, the cross being that symbol, and no doubt there'll be listeners who've Remembered from the past, uh, you know, the cross, the cross and sort of four quadrants, uh, you know, the cross is in the middle. How do you describe just how powerful that symbol can be when you understand this process of transformation? The power of this symbol of the shape of the cross is as simple as maybe even today, get a knife and a fork out or if you're Chinese, because we've done a lot of work in such countries as that get your two chopsticks out and make the form of a cross and on the left hand side of the cross that symbolizes before we become a christian it's where we're dead in sin ephesians 2 and on the right hand side of the vertical knife or fork or chopstick or whatever it is symbolizing that vertical part of the cross is where we're born again and we've come into a new kingdom that is our current home and that is so transformative that as we keep on living from that home even when we muck it up in our practice our lives are changed a biblical perspective on life culture and current events this is 2020 on vision christian radio Dr. John Warlow is our guest. He's a adult child and family psychiatrist, developer of what's known as the Christian Wholeness Framework. Our talkback line is open. We're talking transformation right across cultures. Now, we've started talking, John, about the fact that there are different cultures from different parts of the world. Let's, uh, let's zero in a little bit here on what's going on in Australia because we've got all sorts of differences and different subcultures, I think we'd call them, in our own society. One of those would be that young people are thinking a whole lot differently to what their middle-aged parents and their older-aged grandparents are thinking about. And we might even be concerned when we hear statistics that somehow or other young people are not responding to the church to the gospel in the way that their parents might have because there's some different things happening in society. What are your thoughts for uh, for the relevance of this Christian gospel across all of these age groups because we can identify there's an issue with young people? That's absolutely right, Neil, that young people are different. But what is really interesting is, and being an adult child and family psychiatrist where I'm involved in change in young people, is that surprisingly, despite the different worldview, the different way of thinking and of living of young people, they actually have the core uh, similarities uh, of what older people have. They hunger for connection. They hunger for connection, uh, just like anyone anyone does. They hung, hunger 
also to be understood. And I think just keeping to the basic steps of change, of connect and understand before you respond, before you try and change that that teenager, before you try and change that young adult, you just can't go wrong as you walk the steps with them. Interestingly, it's not a secret as to what you're trying to change young people to when you are a Christian, because we all get to share some common things in the way that uh, we want to think, behave, act in, in these circumstances. So it's not a secret here. Uh, but you're a psychiatrist, and we might assume that you get to work with the hard cases. Uh, we might think, well, maybe, uh, you know, here's a psychiatrist, and you get to, you know, people refer to you, or, you know, people are in really dire situation before you've got to get to the, the psychiatrist, and uh, all those sort of challenges. Uh, maybe some families are not thinking they're quite there yet. But uh, what are your thoughts for, uh, you know, dealing with hard cases and, uh, and young people? While I deal with, uh, yeah, cases which are hard, I also deal with cases which are going well, but stay on the hard cases. Their needs are what I find is exactly the same. And so uh, they might be self-harming. They might actually move towards suicide. Young male adults, the commonest form of death is suicide here in Australia, even more than motor vehicle accidents. That Their needs are for that love to be respected and understood and for hope. In fact, hopelessness is one of the key features prior to completed suicide. And as we just connect with these uh, teenagers in whatever form, whether we're a dad and a mom or just a friend or even in the church, as we simply connect with them, not trying to change them, but as and as we understand them, and yeah, as they become Christians and it becomes God through them, not through our culture, but it's going to look different because God's an amazing God who actually wants to actually indwell anyone and everyone in God's way through that particular person in that unique way. And that's where change will come. Wow, I think we're getting into something here that uh, I sort of, I tried to set up there in the introduction and you're starting to put some flesh on the skeleton. This idea that what changes us, what brings transformation is not just a change of thinking, but it may be because there's a different life source that is affecting us. And you're saying that when people are relational to one another, uh, and in a church setting you might say uh, there are people who are growing in God, that that relational connection helps in the transformation. Yes, the relationship goes in three directions. The relationship with others is so important for transformation. The relationship with self but the most important one is that relationship with God. And that is right at the middle of our being. And when that part is central and the source of our life, that's where rivers of living water can come out and actually change our thinking, change our worldview, change our way of living into a kingdom way through that unique individual, whether they're a teenager, a 30-year-old mum or a 60-year-old guy, whoever, uh, God becomes a source and just brings that person to life. It's a wow moment when you appreciate how transformation happens. And uh, when it happens relationally, one to another, you and I are chatting today, there's a certain sense in which 
uh, we're talking about, and, you know, you've got a wonderful way of being able to articulate these things, but it's not because we're just two people sitting talking, but we're two people who've been on our own journey and connected with what we would say is the higher power, uh, you know, the higher Father, God himself, who has been raising you up, who's been raising me up, and here we get to talk about it. And so the life of God comes through conversations and relationships between people, but he's the one where the source, he's the source of these these changes. So, Neil, we're talking here about a concept of change called trialogue. There are three here in this room. There's yourself, there's myself, there is God here. And what I find as well in my psychiatry practice, in my personal life, with my friends, is where God is the source that as I, as he is part of our relationship, that is the most potent place where change can occur. I'm going to have to write that word down. We're in a trialogue. <laughs> Not a dialogue, but a trialogue. And that's because God is in the same conversation. Now, for people who are in this, and we talk about a postmodern age, a, a rise of humanism, where we say we're becoming more secular, and, you know, these things might be arguable because there's so many good things happening. But we talk about this, but what that really tends to mean, John, I'll get your impression here, is that people have left the trialogue to the side and said, we'll just have a dialogue, thanks very much, we'll just talk about ourselves and each other, and that actually is a bad move. Even more so than that move, Neil, is a move from trialogue to dialogue to monologue. In other words, it's all about me. And that's where this postmodern culture is so dangerous. It's all about me because it's so relative, so pluralistic. It's up to me what I say is my truth. And as we come to God, who is absolute truth, um, that's when we can have an anchor. That's where we can have a source of our being, even in this postmodern culture, an anchor to hold on to in this culture which is just drifting in chaos from one place to another place in the context of virtual intimacy where all we're doing is looking at our screens and connecting with others in that virtual way. It's a dodgy or dangerous place. We're actually in dangerous direction. We're heading in a culture. You know, in Western society, one of the things that has shaped the West is this idea that there is a trialogue, that there is a God in the picture. And if you take God out of the picture, and uh, we could even probably identify some things today that are happening around the world where God is not in the picture, and the uh, those nations, uh, those communities, headed towards chaos. So if we want to have some level of order, some level of harmony, you have to have God in the picture. God has to be central. He is the anchor. He is the source. He is our home base. Um, he is our goal. And if we don't have God, we lose those, uh, we lose those anchor points. We lose that direction. We then drift into what will become chaos, whether it's personally or in the home or in the country, our place of work, wherever. A couple of pretty Significant scriptures when we're talking about transformation. Uh, one of those was that one from uh, 
uh, from uh, that says, uh, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. Uh, that's a powerful one because it means that living needs a little bit more than just the physical bread. What are your thoughts? Yeah, such an interesting verse there. And it was obviously just after, just at the end of Jesus's temptations there in Matthew 4, where he had had no bread for 40 days. But I'm really glad he says that man shall not live by bread alone, alone. Because there is that physical part which we need for change. If we don't have bread, if we don't have exercise, if we don't have sleep and so on, then we're not exactly going to be transformed. But then he goes on to say that even more important than the bread, than the physical, than the outer part of us, as it were, is that core central part of us where God can sow his word right into our hearts and then from inside out there can be transformation because of God's word. Is it a relevant thing to call that a miracle or a miraculous thing that God does? Because some people will be thinking in the realms of a sort of a secular humanistic psychology that, oh, if you just change the way people think, uh, that'll change who they are anyway. But but what we're talking about here is something that, as we've been saying, is cross-cultural right around the world and has been at work for now 2,000 years. Uh, is it a relevant thing to say that what happens in us is really a miraculous thing? I think it's nearly as miraculous as when someone is literally born. That's a miracle every time it happens, that the, the, the physical birth is just amazing how that happens. But at the time where our source becomes different, where he comes to live in us, um, that is indeed a miracle. Now, it might not come across, hey, on this particular day, my life changed 90 degrees. I went in a totally different direction. It was miraculous. For me, and probably for many people, it was just more a slow movement. But I'm just so grateful in my personal life and in people who I see are growing in transformation and change that they experience this amazing miracle of God with us, of Emmanuel, God with us and in us, and such that our lives can be changed. Amazing that you are able to reflect there uh, on something that, you know, will be all in, in all of our hearts and minds. In fact, uh, so many of us will have heard testimonies, amazing things where someone had an addiction. It was a drug addiction or whatever addiction it might be. And, and from the moment that new birth happened, you mentioned birth. Well, sometimes, you know, we talk about being born again as Christian believers. Sometimes the change is absolutely dramatic. And those things that had a grip on us were loosened and they were removed from us. Other times, as you say, it's been a slow warming process and uh, a process of believing. And But is the result the same ultimately? What are your thoughts here? The result of, of that inner change, whether it's slow or whether it's quick, is the same, in my opinion. There's a total change of direction, of becoming God-centered rather than self-centered. There's a total different place, as it were, of, of home base, where we're living from, whether we're living from a God-centered, being born again in a new kingdom, uh, home base compared to coming out of uh, a life which is dead in sin and which cannot therefore glory glorify God.
Uh, this new birth, uh, which is not a denominational thing. I mean, over the years, you will have heard people saying, oh, you're, you're part of the born-agains. Uh, you know, that sort of group that uh, that uh, is pushing the whole idea of being born again. Well, uh, being born again is the words that Jesus uses in uh, John chapter 3 in the Bible. So this idea of a new birth, though, uh, that's a powerful concept in itself when we talk about transformation, because the transformation has to really start somewhere. And uh, that somewhere is going to be usually a point in time that we might be able to identify As a psychiatrist, Neil, I am so interested in people change. I'm interested in how they change socially, physically, psychologically, but also spiritually as well. And from my point of view, the greatest of those changes is a central spiritual change where they are indeed born again. Jesus had his theology of change, his way of thinking about change. And there were two aspects of what he emphasized. One was be born again, John 3 to Nicodemus. Um, But the other was come into this new kingdom, come into this new kingdom. And as we do, there is actually a third one, at least from my reading, as, as we abide in him, as we remain at home with him, then our life can change. And it's having that total change of source, which then allows an inside out change. But of course, the other parts of us also need to change. And that can be helped by having bread, where Jesus said, we don't live by bread alone. Yes, but we also do live by bread by having physical things, sleep uh, and food and so on. But the primary place for change is right from that central circle, that central part of us, as it were, the spirit, when it's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, by the presence of God. Well, let's try and keep this simple and real life as possible, because, uh, as you say, this is what Jesus did, uh, simple, real life. You have to have bread to live, uh, but you can't live by bread alone. Uh, So when we talk about, you know, the Bible, how we imbibe uh, those things, you know, for some it's like, oh, opening up that dusty old book, or uh, for, uh, you know, a modern generation, it's like going onto our uh, mobile device and, and you've got your uh, U version of the Bible in there, and you're uh, able to find uh, chapters and verses, and uh, and then you're going to read something out of that, and it just looks like words on the screen or words on the page, but there's something special about the words, uh, or is that too mystical to be thinking about that sort of thing? Give us your insights here, how, how that actually works with words and life and food. Let me give an example of just this morning, then, with my devotion. Um, it was from John. I was looking at John, and I was going through the I Am's. And when I read, "I am the bread of life," I said, "Jesus, be my be my bread." When he says, "I am the gate," uh, and uh, Jesus, I want to enter in through you. Be, when he says, "I am the shepherd," I say, "Be my shepherd." Um, and it was uh, applying that the word of God to myself. In the context of today, so I looked through my diary at the same time, I looked through my to-do list at the same time, and brought these issues there into the presence of God, to Jesus who is my door, to Jesus who is my way, to Jesus who is my truth and my life. 
and thus, for me, today is going to be very different compared to if I was living it much more in my way. This is incredibly re- relevant, not, not just for Christians, actually, but also for non-Christians. For non-Christians, they it's that whole thing of, yeah, being born again, of taking that first breath, as it were, when a baby is born. For Christians, it's keeping on walking those steps, keeping on breathing that breath. Well, let me raise that other verse I mentioned just before the news. And uh, you'll have to uh, help me with chapter and verse here. You might have this memorized, John. But uh, but that verse came to my mind as I was saying, we'll talk about this in the next hour. Uh, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, there is a certain sense here in which you say, and now I'm, I'm interested in the way uh, it's put in the Bible, uh, life and not life. It doesn't say death, uh, although uh, that's something we can put in there. But uh, what are your thoughts for the idea of a life source and how that works with the transformation of, of an individual? So what Jesus is saying here, in my view, regardless of whether our life is going well or not so well. The critical issue for us is whether we are born again or not born again. If we're born again in Christ, he is in us, we actually have life. And that might be even though today is a hard day. This last week is a week we would have liked to have written off. It just is not going well. 2019, a bad year. So how is it then after a bad year, a bad time, and I've been born again, Jesus says, hey, he who has the son has life. Because actually underneath all of that, underneath all of that, we have the source of life and we can live from him rather than from our bad experience experience which we may have had today or over this year one of the challenging things of course is that oftentimes when we think of being born again or that moment we first believed we first had that encounter with god in the anticipation of transformation uh, as we grow a little older year by year that becomes a historic point in the past Uh, the idea of this new birth bringing life somehow or other, has to include an ongoing development, an ongoing uh, participation in the life force of God. What are your thoughts here for, for those who are, you know, they, oh, that, oh, I was born again 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so relevant for those born 10 years ago listening in uh, today. It's just so relevant that we do what we did for our first breath, that we breathe in, uh, as it were. We take that next step of coming back to Jesus wherever we are, just living from him in our moment-to-moment uh, life. Just today, Monday, whichever date it is, uh, today is having him as a source and the center of our life in an ongoing way and doing that during doing that by faith just exactly the same way as we came to him on the very first time and for those listeners who might not be christians today for them to be taking that first step of actually coming to the source of life to the one who can actually help change them from being dead in sin to being alive in christ that process is available right now wherever you are uh, listening to this as you can come to Christ whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the umpteenth time. And you know I get reports from time to time that at Vision Prayer which is one of the dimensions of what happens in Vision and uh, they're frequently having calls from listeners 
who want to make that connection. And so they've been able to do that through vision prayer in a very powerful way. This is the interesting thing, though, John. You don't have to have any special supports on hand. It's what's happening to you right now. It's between you and God. It's not like you have to have, uh, you know, bells ringing uh, or you'd have to be there at the altar call in a particular church. Uh, this is a transaction that happens between you and God. And this can happen anywhere. And even right now, no doubt, belief is being birthed in the hearts of people listening to our conversation. I think so, Neil. And I guess uh, if anyone's out, uh, is listening in and you ha- haven't become a Christian, it's just so Say, Jesus, I come to you. This is the first time I accept. I admit I've been going my way. I believe that you, Lord Jesus, um, are our Lord. That you're Savior, and that you can bring me into a whole new life, just like that uh, verse you were saying uh, there, Neil. That He who has the Son has life, and just come right now, just as you are to him and receive that life and that will bring about change and there Neil was a subtle ABC admit where you're at B is believe believe Jesus right now but say Jesus I believe in you you can give me that new life come into the center of my life be my source and as a result of that then change can occur inside out transformation Now, let's come back to what we started talking about in the essence of our conversation today, and that is that across all cultures around the world and all of those subcultures within a society like Australia, this same message is having a powerful, powerful impact, and this is not without real evidence because around the world, I mean, you'd be familiar with this sort of thing, John, the idea that missionary movements around the world into nations that hadn't been exposed to the gospel. Individual lives responded, communities began to change, nations began to change. I mean, we're talking about evidence here for what God does in the shaping of a people and a nation. What are your thoughts for that sort of evidence and, uh, and right across all cultures? I mean, personally, Neil, I, I, I know that in my life, but for God, I would not have cha- changed. I would be in a very different place. But for God, my family would be in a very different place. My wife, my marriage, my children um, would, would be in a very different place. Uh, and it, it's not just individuals and families, but churches as well. But I really love the way you go on to talk about communities and countries and nations. And as we look back over history, where the Christian worldview has been predominant, then that demarcates those countries in a particular way. And Australia is a Christian country, and we need to keep to the ethics of that. And I think we're in a very different place Compared to where we would have been if that has not been, if that had not been the situation. I know we've gone offline. We've had bad starts and so, so, um, such things as that. But in essence, God can come into a community, into a country, into a nation, uh, into a whole area, uh, and bring about change as He is a source, as He is a center. If you cut off the life source, and uh, this brings us into an area we might be uh, uh, talking a little bit uh, along some uh, some lines that uh, 
you know, this is maybe uh, what might happen. But we could identify that Christian foundation in Australian culture uh, right across uh, a whole lot of developments, including, uh, you know, protection for Aboriginal peoples who were under tremendous stress throughout our history uh, because they were targeted. Uh, by so many. And let's not get into a whole big uh, conversation or any few minutes to go. But the way that the systems, the Christian foundations were put in place that enabled a country to flourish, that enabled people to be families together, that enabled parents to raise children with godly values, that shaped generations and a nation to be a prosperous nation. I mean, these are sorts of things we see on the out, on the outset. And we say that's because there's been a life source that's been coming from a different direction. If you cut off that life source, um, you can degenerate, can't you? Is I, think, a- I think a society, a family, a, a, a nation uh, can degenerate if we cut off that life source, which is we're really in danger of now, of uh, not having that life source of God who's a connecting God, a God of love, uh, but and also a God and, who has values and truth. And as we, if we let go of those values and truth, which we are really heading down, down this lane in in postmodern culture, we are bound to go into a dangerous direction as a community, as a country, because we'll be rudderless without godly values. The other hand, on the other hand, if God is central, if He is our source, and as as we do have godly values in the nation, then it'll it'll be a, a totally different direction in a positive and a healthy way. So wholeness looks healthy, strong, and uh, and in some ways harmonious. Uh, the other side of the coin uh, looks shriveled and uh, disheveled and uh, on a trajectory that is not healthy, not strong. And so this coming back to uh, the Word of God being the life source, connecting with individuals that connect on your level, connecting with the idea that God is there, this uh, trialogue, as you were saying. Uh, I want to, we've run out of time, so I want to point people to some of the things you've been writing about, John. And you've got a series of books, The Cure for Life Part One, all about God centered transformation, The Cure for Life Part Two, God centered relationships, and Part Three is coming. Uh, these books are available in Vision Christian Store. But when people get a hold of your books, are these just for counsellors, these highfalutin academic books, or who can understand these books, John? They aren't exactly easy bedtime reading on the one hand, uh, but they are actually books for anyone and for everyone uh, to actually take in, take these five steps and these five shapes to transform their lives in a godly way. And you can get a hold of those books right now at Vision Christian Store. I'd encourage you to visit vision.org.au and uh, you'll find a link to the store. And if you type in Dr. John Warlow or The Cure for Life, you'll be able to get a hold of those. You also have a website, drjohnwarlow.com, and uh, people might like to connect with you personally, John, because uh, you'll be able to... uh, uh, let people know what you're into uh, in a deeper way and all of the different things that you're up to. Uh, John Warlow, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Neil, great to be with you again. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.